Dutch school kids during a school strike to protest about the lack of government action to tackle climate change. More than 10,000 school kids turned up from across the country and they came to the Marleyfelt in The Hague to demonstrate. Now, this got me thinking. It's time to look at just how environmentally friendly the Netherlands is. And that's the focus of this podcast. I headed to uh, Agenda, Agenda in Dutch, um, the organization which achieved worldwide fame in 2015 after taking the Dutch government to court on the lack of effort to tackle climate change. Nobody gave the organization uh, a chance of winning that case, but they actually did win the case. Urgenda wint in Nederland een klimaatproces. Nederland moet meer doen tegen de opwarming van de aarde. In 2020, and then since then, their action has inspired environmental groups around the world to take similar actions against government and get more action against climate change. Um, the Dutch government appealed that initial uh, court case loss. And at the end of last year, 2018, the appeal case was heard and agenda won again. Kabinet krijgt vandaag een forse tik op de vingers van de rechter. Het klimaatbeleid van het kabinet deugt niet. Amazing. Uh, everybody was uh, shocked again. And the Dutch government is now being faced with the fact they have to act much more quickly because after the first case, they didn't really do very much. So I talked to Mayan Minusma in this podcast. We talk about the court cases. We talk about the Netherlands in general and its record when it comes to environmentalism and climate change and we also talk about what you can do as an individual to try and help tackle climate change i'm sure you're going to enjoy this podcast so i'll stop rambling on and here we go my name is mario minisma i'm the director of agenda uh, and what is agenda Urgenda, as a word, is a combination of an urgent agenda. Uh, and when we started 11 years ago, it was an agenda for a more sustainable Netherlands. We were then at that time looking at 2050. Um, but over time, we became more and more an organization that tries to um, work on climate change by saying, well, what we really need to do is... Um, having a 1.5 maximum increase in temperature uh, compared to 1850. If you really do, do not want to um, have more than 1.5 degrees, you should be on zero emissions in 2030 and not 50. Um, so we made a report how you could, uh, as a Netherlands, be on 100% renewables in 2030 and what it would cost and what it would take. And that means that you have to do something on housing and on mobility and on industry and on sun, wind, etc. So it's quite a large program still. But when we started 11 years ago, we, we were even broader than that. So we did focus more and more on trying to fight climate change, uh, starting here in the Netherlands, because we are a big emitter. We're a small country, but a big emitter. And I think that you should always start in your own garden and not tell people at other parts in other parts of the world that they should do something. Now, we should do it first. And, and recently, Dutch school kids took a day off school to protest about, uh, about climate change, that not enough is being done. What did you make of that? And what do you think that tells us about the debate at the moment? I think it's very important. I think it's the first time in history that children of about 14, 15, 16 years organized their own school strike or actually, yeah, what, what would you call it? it I think it's like 
uh, Greta Thunberg, the, the Swedish girl, uh, a group of people that is worried, that know, uh, they know that their future will not be very good if we don't act, because it's the next 15 years which are crucial. And by the time they are in power, it's already too late. I have three children and my youngest is 15. So she was also uh, at this happening, 15,000 teenagers. Uh, and they organized it themselves. And actually they said to people in politics, um, you should do much more. You don't do enough. And, and this sounds very polite, but they also had more uh, harsh wording. And I think they're completely right. Uh, I'm, I'm giving a lot of uh, uh, lectures at different levels of schools and university and so on. And I usually tell young children, well, I'm not here to tell you that you should change the future and that you should do innovations and blah, blah, blah. No, your only task is for the coming 10 years, uh, kick ass of all those uh, so-called grown-ups because they are the ones who um, over in their lifetime did more than 50% of all cumulative emissions. They are also the one now in power, so they should change. And you should tell them right in their face because it's so much stronger if young people stand in front of you and say, hey, old man, why don't you act? Because you are, uh, you are creating a future that's unlivable. That's so much stronger than when I do it because they will think, okay, this is that lady that works on climate change. <laughs> okay, all right. So you were very hopeful then after the protest. It gave you a lot of kind of confidence that uh, young people have, you know, accept that climate change is a major problem which needs to be tackled now. It helps. We also have an organization that calls Grandparents for Climate. We are supporting them as well. They are every other week in The Hague, standing in front of Parliament, telling the people working there uh, they should do more on climate. So it's not only children, it's also older people. And of course, you have all the NGOs and others. So what I see is that more and more people are getting worried, but that finally they're also now uh, turning up at streets, because I think it's important to make it physical. For a long period, we thought that a like or a retweet was enough. I don't think that that makes enough impression. You mm. should make it very physical and stand in front of those who are in power and show them we want things to change. Difficult to ignore then, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important. If you had to sum up in 30 seconds, uh, how environmentally friendly is the Netherlands? Well, if you look at climate and energy, we are not doing very well. We are the in the European Union, we have the lowest level of renewable energy of all European Union countries. So it's 28. We are not the lowest low. level. Yeah, we were uh, until last year one below the lowest. Uh, so then Luxembourg was the, bad, the baddest guy. But now we are the lowest. Uh, we have CO2 emissions that have not decreased for 28 years. So since 1990, it's uh, steady. Uh, so we're not doing very well there. We are good at recycling. There's a couple of things we are good at, building dikes, but not in the field of climate change, I'm afraid. That's quite shocking. I mean, the image kind of generally is the Netherlands is such an environmentally friendly, progressive country. You wouldn't expect it to be, you know, kind of bottom of the list. Yeah, we have a lot of bikes. <laughs> and we were one of the five countries that started the climate change convention in the early 90s. Um, but the past 20 years, we have not done very much. We are very fossil fuel oriented. We have the largest gas hub of Europe. We have a very large gas 
bel, <laughs> than what you call it in English, in the north. Gas of, reserves, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the north of the Netherlands with a lot of earthquakes as a consequence. And so it's not very nice for the people living there. We have harbors with uh, uh, which are very well centered. And so we have a lot of coal coming in and we also transport the coal to Germany and so on. But we also use a lot of it ourselves. We have five coal-fired power plants, three brand new ones, which use a lot of coal and a lot of emissions. And we have a very good infrastructure. So everybody has gas. There's every, uh, we have uh, very large harbors and therefore also chemical industry, data, uh, steel, and a couple of other very big ones. Chemical industry is very big in the Netherlands. So we are high emitters. Uh, and that's not something you would see if you look at the pictures of tulips, windmills, and people on bikes. Um, but we are number 34 in the world uh, in absolute sense of uh, CO2 emissions. So more than three quarters of the world does less than we do. So I think we also therefore have a high responsibility to change. Tell me a bit more about your organization then. Uh, agenda, agenda, I guess you say it in English. I don't know how you say it, pronounce it in English, but uh, agenda in Dutch. Um, what's your goal? What do you want to achieve? Well, uh, we want 100% renewables uh, and so no emissions in the energy field in 2030. Um, we, for 95%, work on solutions. So we help people to make their house energy neutral, which means that they don't use gas anymore and 100% use their own renewable energy, which makes their energy bill zero. And if you have to invest to do this, it's roughly 35,000 euros. This is the same amount uh, what a normal family in the Netherlands would pay for their energy in 15 years time. So if you would take that, that amount up front and spend it and you don't have an energy bill anymore, you can pay it back in 15 years for the same amount per month as what you now pay for your energy. So it's a budget neutral solution. You would have no cost then for energy? No. No cost for energy, and if you would not have to, to pay the money uh, in the bank yourself, which goes for most persons, then you, you would have to borrow it, but then you could pay it back in 15 years' time with interest for the same amount as what you would now pay for your energy. So it's a budget-neutral solution. And this is sun, solar panels and insulating the house, and, and what else is it? It's um, not extremely insulating, so the basic things you need to do, but that's roughly 3,000 euros. That's not extreme. Uh, a heat pump, uh, which does the heating and warm water and so on. Um, you need to cook not on gas, but uh, on induction. Uh, we would try to put solar panels everywhere we can. Uh, you would need roughly 20 panels to make an energy neutral house. So if you would have only space for 16, then we say, well, then you can still do that. But then the, then you have, have a small uh, energy bill left. And if you would pay that um, f use an energy uh, firm that has 100% renewable energy for the Netherlands, you are still uh, climate neutral. Uh, it's, uh, it's only energy neutral when you do it from your own roof or your own shed or whatsoever. Uh, but if you do the, almost everything and the last part you do with a green energy company is also fine. And what sort of percentage of Dutch households are at this level at the moment then? Well, at the moment in the Netherlands, it's not a large uh, group yet, um, but we are trying to convince the government that it's possible in the way we do it, because the, there's also another way that's extreme insulation. Uh, so then they put a new roof and a new walls around it and make the house well, almost uh, vacuum. Uh, 
that might be nice if you look at it from the energy perspective, but it's it's extremely expensive. It's 70, 80, 90,000 euros. It's, I think, in for your health also not so very good. Um, and most private persons would not want to spend that amount of money. So in the end, nobody does it. So what we do is a solution that everybody can do budget neutral. And we are now helping housing companies with renters to do the same. And uh, that goes very well. So we uh, try to scale up now by going to larger groups. And if I go to your website, can I find a link that tells me how I can do this to my house? Yeah, we have a separate entity that's called Thuisbaas. That's very Dutch. (laughs) Home boss, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. uh, but you can also go through the agenda side to Thuisbaas. On the Thuisbaas website, you see examples and you you can also buy things from the Thuisbaas website if you want to do it yourself. But at the moment, you could also ask for an advice. Then we come to your house and look at it and make some uh, measurements and then say, okay, in your house, you would need to do X, Y, Z, and it would cost you this and this. Uh, And you can say, okay, fine, please arrange it for me. And then we do everything that's needed. That's one of the things we currently do. Um, But you can also do it yourself. Uh, We don't care who does it as long as things uh, change. But this is only one part. So this is the housing part. We also help uh, people in kind of hospital settings with um, um, changing in behavior. We can uh, reduce the energy use with 10 to 20 percent in one winter period. Uh, We work on mobility, so we have introduced the first electric car in 2008, the first electric car that was made in series and sold it to Amsterdam and another couple of big cities. And then they thought, oh, now we have hundreds of electric cars, charging stations. So they started to do a request for charging stations and so on. So this was before Tesla, long before that kind of… Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2008 we're talking. So uh, we are always the first who tries to show people it is already possible and we do it and then others think, oh, that's relatively easy. Well, let's let's copy it. Well, and we, it's a very practical idealism and a practical philosophy. Yeah, we have also done that this appears later to be the first joint buying initiative of solar panels in Europe. We bought 50,000 solar panels. That was 10 megawatt at that time. Uh, and and brought them from China to the Netherlands with inverters and everything else. Uh, and we did this for thousands of people at the same time. So the price at that time was one third lower than what it was at that moment on the market. So, um, yeah, we tried to show that things are already possible. And then after we did this collective buying, there were a lot of others that thought, oh, collective buying, yeah, why not? And then they started to copy it and then we move on to something else. So we look in the market what's needed. And if nobody else does it, then we try to do it. Hi, Andy Clark here with the middle bit of the podcast. There's more from the amazing and inspirational Mayan Minasma in just a minute. Uh, But just a quick reminder to let you know you can actually become a sponsor of the Here in Holland podcast. Check the link in the show notes. You can become a patron. The more patrons I have, the more podcasts I can make. And remember to spread the word about the podcast too. The more people that know about it and then the more the algorithms will get to doing their work and it will be promoted in timelines and on websites and social media wherever people go. And that will be very helpful. All right, back to the interview. And famously, you took the Dutch government to court 
um, because you thought the government was not doing enough. Uh, that was take take me through that decision. Why did you decide to do that, and what happened? Yeah, if you would only call it, say, a court case, then it looks very much like what I would call old school NGO work, which is what we normally don't do. But the new and different thing about this was that we thought, um, based on the book, Revolution Justified, um, that it must be possible to go to court and show the facts. That's a very important thing at the moment, because in politics, it's hardly about facts anymore. There's a lot of framing. There's a lot of uh, untruth. But we still have faith in our our legal system. And we think that if you bring to the courts, look, this is the case with climate change is a very big problem. Um, there will be enormous consequences this century. Uh, and our government has said for 10 years in a row that industrial countries should do between 25 and 40 percent CO2 reduction in 2020. But they're now not living up to this thing that they have declared themselves, that they have signed, that is part of the bigger picture within the Climate Change Convention. Uh, So please, uh, courts, look at this. And we think they should do 40% in 2020. But if you don't don't agree with that, then subsidiary, as you call it in in legal terms, then we will also um, take 25%. But at least somewhere between 25 and 40. And then the court said, yes, you are completely right. This is an enormous problem. Uh, This has been agreed upon with the government. So there was no debate that climate change was not a problem or not urgent or whatsoever. Uh, And maybe the 40 percent, what you like, is necessary. But that's a political question. But the 25 percent, so the lowest level, that's what my role is as a judge, because there is a duty of care for the government. And their duty of care is to... Uh, protect their citizens and the lowest level is something you should not go below so the first court said uh, we agree with agenda 25 percent in 2020 and this is compared to 1990 i believe is that right yeah it's compared to 1990 and then the dutch government said okay um well we think this is a very principal thing because we think now the judge has gone too far because they're sitting on our chair but we will do what the judge said. Um, well, we are now in 2019. We must conclude that they have done nothing. There is zero, zero point zero <laughs> a reduction since 2015, and uh, they did not only go in. They did not not only appeal about this political question. They appealed everything that they could possibly think of. Yeah, you had to go back to the court because they appealed the original decision. And then yeah. and then at the end of last year, 2018, you were in court again and, and you won again. Yeah, so they appealed in 2015. Then we spent a lot of years on all kinds of documents going back and forth. And then uh, in October last year, the Court of Appeal in The Hague said um, the first court was absolutely right. Um, it's even worse. We think it's even uh, human rights here which are being breached. So also because uh, of the European Convention on Human Rights, uh, there is a duty of care. So the Dutch government should really now take more action. So we now have more or less two legs to walk on because the, the first court has had an under another uh, exact reasoning than the second. But they both say there is a duty of care. Um, so one way or the other, I think that this government should do much more and now they are in stress because they had thought that the first court made a mistake so they didn't do anything and now in October it appeared shit we have lost again Uh, it's almost 2020 so it's two years left 
Um, and now they are, yeah, you could say in stress. You, I hear that they are calling around everywhere to ask people, what can we do? Have you, do you have ideas? Um, and they are asked by the parliament to make a plan. So in April, they will come with a plan how they still can manage to make the 25%. How near are they to the 25%? I think they are still at 13%. They themselves say that they will end up next year with 21%. So there is a gap of what they call 9 megaton of CO2. We think it's actually twice as big. Um, we are now working on a plan which we call the 30, 40 measures plan uh, to show that it's still possible. Because there is one big way, uh, simple way to make it. That's closing all the coal-fired power plants. Then, then they will at least make the 9 megaton and even a bit more. Uh, but if they don't want that, because three of them are very new or whatever other reason, we want to show that it's still possible to make it. So we now have 40 different measures, which are all small, of course, but together add up at least to the nine and in the end more than nine megaton to show also the judges that they, well, because they have appealed again. And this year will be, we will be in the highest court in the Netherlands, in The Hague again. Uh, we don't want them to tell the, the court it's not possible anymore. You are asking something. This is not possible. Too late. Too late, yeah. I think it's... Yeah, I'm, I'm also a bit angry that since 2015 they knew they had to do this. The court declared this, uh, this uh, verdict that they had to do it. And even if they would appeal and it would take five years, that they would not get an additional five years. So they knew if they would ke keep losing that they need to do 25% in 2020. Well, if you are then a responsible government, you start immediately to work on it. Instead, they did nothing. There was no decrease at all since 2015. And now they start to scream, oh, it's difficult and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you knew this. So yeah, it will be more difficult because everything you delay makes it more difficult, but it's still possible. It might be a bit more effort, might cost you a little bit more money, but that's your own fault. But don't tell us that it's not possible. Was this always your idea then by by using the legal system to really have a kind of concrete uh, stick to beat the government with or really have a concrete uh, independent judgment saying you have to adhere to these promises you've made when it comes to climate change? Yes, and this was my own analysis, but also the analysis in this book uh, that's, that shows you that climate change is an enormous problem. And what was the book? You mentioned the book. Can you explain what that is? The book is called Revolution Justified. It was made by a lawyer that's a member of our think tank. And he actually brought this idea to me. And he said, well, I think um, that the politics political system is not going to do what's necessary because you always have this right and left and uh, people before and against and they don't feel the urgency and he said well the only uh, democratic thing that's left is going to the judge because they look at the facts and I agreed with him um, everybody thought that this was impossible so I added another lawyer, so there were two of them, and they have done this first phase. Um, and then in the second phase, the second lawyer went on, and this first lawyer went to another case. So um, I think we were the only three that believed that it was possible, and the rest of the world, until we won in 2015, thought we were mad. Uh, but after we won, the world changed completely. Um, yeah, I was going to ask that now. Have, have lots of other environmental groups around the world used this tactic now, or are you uh, using this tactic? Yes, we have also started a climate 
litigation network to help other people around the world. We have translated everything in English because we think that in other cases, 80% of what we have done is useful for others. They have to do the last 20% themselves based on their own situation. But lots of what we have done is useful. So it will uh, well save them two or three years of work because we had to do a lot of work on this first basic things like show that there is an urgency, that there is a very serious threat uh, and based on this situation, you can then go to court and say, here is a duty of care and a government should do much more. And we have uh, spent a lot of time on, on getting all the arguments right, but also on the translation. And we were also very satisfied that both courts brought their verdict in two languages. So at the day that the verdict came at the website, it was in Dutch and English. That was the reason why it spread so quickly around the world. And we have been inspiring people around the world. We had people crying on the phone um, telling us, well, I didn't believe that we could do anything anymore, but now I have hope again. And hope is a very strong factor. And you also see that those young people who were on the street went to our prime minister and said, well, the first thing you have to do is this verdict because you're not even living up to that. So how can we believe you? And that's strong. I think. But like you say, they're, they're in practice, though, to some extent, they're still ignoring it. I mean, that, that must make you pretty mad. Yeah, well, they have a problem now uh, because either they say we don't live up to, to the rule of law uh, and The Hague is the city of law and peace and, and everywhere in the world we act as if we are the, the, the big law and peace uh, entity. And now suddenly we are going to say, yeah, well, we had a judgment twice, but we're not going to do it. And what I say to them is, okay, so next time if I speed and I get a ticket, I just don't pay it because, yeah, well, I just forgot. I just don't want to. That's not possible. So how can you do that as a government? You are asked to decrease, decrease it with 25%. You cannot just hang in your chair and say, I'm not going to do it because then we are kind of a kind of banana republic. Well, I don't think that we want to be that. And you see that they don't want to be that. So they are now moving. And yeah, if they had started earlier, it would be cheaper. But now, uh, yeah, now they have a, a problem, but it's still possible. That there is a pushback from some politicians in the Netherlands, though, and they, they sort of cite the costs of, of, you know, tackling climate change, that it's too expensive. And the Netherlands is a small country. And, you know, it doesn't matter what we do, because China is full of coal powered, uh, you know, power stations, coal fuel power stations. So, you know, well, no matter what we do in the Netherlands, unless you do it altogether internationally, it's a waste of time. That's a kind of a noise that you hear, an argument you hear these days. What do you say to that? Oh, that I'm very glad with the legal system because the judges look at the facts. And this was, of course, brought on the table by the government as well. And it was slashed by, by the judges. We are not very small. We are number 34 in the world in absolute terms. In uh, If you look at per capita, so per person, we are in the top 10. So we are not small. We are big. And the whole thing with climate change is that nobody can... Uh, uh, reach the goals on its own. China cannot do it, uh, USA not, Russia not. It is the whole thing that everybody should do its own small part. So we are not asking to solve the whole climate problem. We are only asking to do our own fair share. And we have said since the early 90s that we uh, we undersigned, we, 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 uh, we were the founders of the Climate Change Convention. So we said from day one, climate change is a big problem. Everybody should do its fair share, blah, blah, blah. But we're not doing our fair share. And if we say we are too small, then we actually say, well, 
25, 75% of all countries is smaller in, in the numbers of CO2 emissions than we are. So then in the end we say, well, then 75% of the countries don't have to do anything. So it's only a few small big ones. Well, that's not the climate change convention. We cannot say, well, we are small, so we don't have to act because then three quarters of the world doesn't have to act and then we won't solve the problem. So the whole thing is that we only demand to do our own fair share. We are not demanding to solve the climate change problem. And um, judges have understood this very well and also said, well, the Netherlands is a big emitter. The Netherlands also, if you look at cumulative over the last 100 years, has been an enormous emitter. Uh, because if you look at China per person, they're not doing as much as we do. We do much more per capita. And we cannot say, well, because we have a small surface, we don't have to act. And you have a big country with two billion people, so you should solve the problem. No, that's not very fair. So um, I hear all the arguments, but most of them are not valid. Um, and we should just do our own fair share. What about the kind of extreme arguments against the kind of climate change deniers? There are still, and of course, the American president is one who is one of the most famous ones at the moment, but you have some in-touch politics as well. Um, what, what's your, what do you say to them, the people who say, you know, this is still not proven or it's still not 100%, you know, this climate change thing, you know, it's just a warm summer or a, a cold winter or... Yeah, I, I w I'm always very interested to ask them, well, if you have cancer... And uh, all the people in the hospital say, well, you should take serious treatment. And you can find one who says, oh, please eat rabbits and it will help you. Will you start eating rabbits then? Uh, I think we will. We normally listen to the science. And the science is extremely clear. All people who are the best scientific uh, uh, on climate change are most worried. So uh, I don't think we should gamble with the future of our children. Because in the worst, worst case, those people would do something that's not really necessary. Well, what would be the problem with that? Because we would save ourselves lots of money. We would have clean air. We, we, we ha There's all kinds of other things that help us. So, But I think the judges also looked at the IPCC report, so the scientific panel of the Climate Change Convention. Thousands of scientific um, people are involved in this whole process. And then they make reports. Uh, and the summary of that is word for word checked by 200 countries and their scientific community. So that is the most rigorous scientific effort that has ever been. And if the outcome of this year after year after year is climate change is a real big problem and we are still heading for through three, four degrees this century, and that's really an unlivable planet, then I think we should not turn to small groups of old men usually who say, we don't believe it. What makes you hopeful that, you know, we are going to achieve the targets to, to keep climate change, you know, uh, limited so we don't get the extreme rises in temperature above more than a half degrees or three or four, you know, some of the worst case scenarios? What, what makes you most hopeful that this is doable? Well, I see that it is still possible. I know that it is possible. I see a lot of uh, new techniques and so on that would make it possible. So the only thing is, are we going to act or not? It's more a matter of psychology and organization than a matter of money and technique. And it might take a few big uh, problematic events or the new generations that go to the streets 
more often. At a certain point of time, the people in power are starting will start to think, okay, we really have a problem. We have to act. And once we start, it's like putting the man on the moon. It's, uh, Kennedy said it should be done within 10 years. And seven years later, there was someone on the moon. So I think that if we really want to, it's not that difficult. It's a matter of scaling up solar and wind power, geothermal energy, and so on. It's a matter of uh, here and there uh, some more electric uh, cables in the ground. If you would break it down, it's not extremely complicated. It's more a matter of deciding together, okay, gas out, solar and wind in, uh, we're going to drive electric cars, etc. And we still have about 15 years to make the switch. So if you know my next car will be electric, my next installation will be a heat pump, etc. So you know it doesn't have to be tomorrow, but somewhere the coming 15 years, I need to make the change. Then it's very much a reality. And I see the younger generations pushing parents. Uh, I see a lot of companies wanting to do the right thing and also wanting to earn money from doing the new things. Fine, that helps. And I see local communities, local politicians seeing what's necessary. It's mainly in uh, in, in this case than in The Hague, in the national politics who don't move. And I think that's in many countries the same. So, yeah, we should kick ass and make sure that they start to move. And I think we are well on the way. And at an individual level, what can people do themselves? Well, that depends on on your um, uh, capacity. So if you have little money, eat less meat. That's cheaper and very good for the environment. If you have a little bit more, put solar panels on your roof. If you uh, still buy cars, um, make sure your next one is an electric one. With most of the changes, it's the case that the investment up front is a bit more, but your life thereafter will be cheaper. Like I drive electric since 2008. The car was a bit more expensive, but my costs thereafter are very cheap. So it's also a matter of organizing our country in another way that you uh, make the investment available for people to change their house and change their car. And thereafter, they can pay back from the uh, decrease in cost they have. So I see plenty of things that you could do. I think the most important thing is with everything that you buy, look around and see if there's a more sustainable choice. And that's something you can do with any small thing. And then at a certain point of time, it's your way of life. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. Well, that was a great interview with Mayan Minasma there from Agenda. There's a link to the Agenda website in the show notes. And if you want to find out more or get more information on how to make your home energy neutral, you can find that information there on the website. And in the show notes, you can also find a link on how to become a sponsor of the Here in Holland podcast. Yes, a life-changing moment for you and something you have been waiting for for many a year, I know. But seriously, it is a chance to help support the podcast. I'm an independent podcaster. There's no big organization backing me or anything. So if you can become a patron and it starts at uh, just a couple of euros a month then that will help me enormously it will let me make more podcasts and if there are ideas you have about what sort of topics i should cover in the podcast then why not get in touch with me there's a facebook page there's twitter there's instagram there's even a website here in holland.com 
com. If you search online, you will come across one of those things and be able to reach out. I'm open to ideas, so let me know what you want me to talk about when it comes to the Here in Holland podcast, which is the podcast in English about life in the Netherlands. And remember, when it comes to tackling climate change, don't just sit there and wait for the politicians to take care of things. Yeah, we should kick ass and make sure that they start to move. Here, here. From me, Andy Clark. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>